Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. Okay. Um, well, we're just going to have a bit of a split between us, talk about some things. Um, for those who have been coming on a Wednesday night, I just want to start with something that I uh, uh, talked about there. So you, you, you will get it, others might not, but you'll, you'll get the story. Um, I mentioned on Wednesday night that part of um, the struggle with... Uh, beliefs of any sort when you feel that there are certain things that you have to attain or live up to in order to make the grade. Um, that's always very problematic because sometimes it's the, the lines can be a bit blurry, can't they? And so you can think, oh, I've, I've sussed this, I've figured it out, but then suddenly the goalposts get moved. Wouldn't you say that that's about right in, in things? And especially in religions, when we're talking about things that are a little bit mysterious and we're not sure about stuff and we think we get it pinned down. Well, I was using an illustration in uh, the Wednesday night and I was talking about, um, about when you go to the airport and you go through security and uh, I was saying how there's all these rules and regulations and uh, nobody really has a clue what's going on. They think they do, but until you get to it, you're not really sure. And uh, there was this program on in, in, in the night a few weeks ago and I was watching it and this guy was going around asking people who were traveling what were the rules and whether you could get through security with, with these various things. Now, Anthony and I travel a lot and we think we've got it sussed. And so I used the illustration that Wednesday night saying, this is what it's like. It's like we know we've got the ticket to our destination, but the problem is, will we get through security? Because what happens is there's always these little things that get in the way. And so we laughed about that and we thought, yeah, good illustration. So Anthony and I travel a lot and we think, yeah, we've got this sussed. Get to uh, Manchester on, uh, in the early hours of Sunday morning last week. And, uh, oh, yeah, we've got it sussed. We've no, no problem. And uh, you see, what happens is, is if, you know, your, your case is going through and if there's a problem, instead of going straight through, it goes on a detour and then it goes down here and then, you know, a little Hitler, <laughs> which they are, picks it up. Whose is this? And then they don't want you to say, oh, I know what it'll be. They want to look through everything. They take your pants out and they, and they don't ever put it back neatly like you've packed it. They shove it back in and it's, it's absolutely terrible. Anyway, we thought we'd got it sus because it's going through and then, lo and behold, the case gets to here and it goes, and it's off. Oh, I just could not believe it. And I, I text Jenny, I said, you wouldn't believe what's just happened. Can I have some water, please? Somebody give me some water. Um, so when the case comes to the other side, oh, and I've got to tell you, it wasn't just me that was a baddie. My case goes off, and Anne's case goes off too. Oh no! We were supposed to be on the fast track, 
And you think that's going to make everything easy, but no, it's always the worst. Oh, it was absolutely shocking. But anyway, let me tell you. Let me tell you what it was. Guess what was in my bag? A pink highlighter pen. Not in the plastic bag. And a little tub of salt that my son gave to me. Which was neither a liquid nor a food substance, right? And them two things uh, got me into trouble and of course I had to get them all out and this, that and the other. And then the other thing was, shall I tell them what yours was? It was a cigar. <laughs> now why am I telling you that? It's because it, it absolutely proved my point that we thought we'd got it sussed, but I thought a marker pen, nah, that'd be all right, it's in my bag. But it had to go in the plastic bag. The salt had to go in the plastic bag. And of course, the cigar was a problem. Now, why am I saying that is because it shows you that if we're going to live by law, you're going to get caught out every time because you think you've got it sussed. But there'll always be something that crops up and there'll be somebody says, ah, but today, this is the rule. And anybody, of course, who's um, fallen beneath that, where we end up in trouble, don't we? So why have, I, why have I started there? Is because you see, as a house, we believe that what we have been called to do is bring not only to our city and to you guys who come in here, but also to the places in the world that we feel that we're called to. We feel that we've been called to bring people to an understanding of a more beautiful gospel. See, it's like a more beautiful gospel. Now, why do I say that? Because whether we like it or not, there has been a mischief with the uh, Christian message that instead of it being good news, it's become horrible news. And every one of us seem to be caught, everyone in the world seems to be caught in the small print, the small print of a very uh, picky, hateful, deity yeah that's the message you better get it right or else and I loved what we did at Christmas about Terry the turkey I love that and it stayed with me all the time it was this that yeah God loves you but the oven's on that's the message that has been uh, basically uh, given for centuries but we have come to understand by the revelation of Jesus, certainly a more beautiful gospel. And uh, I just wanted to start there with getting through security. Anyway, let me tell you this, coming back, of course, the highlighter pen goes in the white plastic bag and my salt goes in the white plastic bag. I think I'm, I'm sorted, I'm done. Coming from um, Goa to Mumbai, absolutely fine. So, yeah, come on, we've sussed this. Get to Mumbai, uh, sorry, to Delhi. And then when we're leaving Delhi to come to England, guess what? The case. Oh, no. And I'll tell you what, no disrespect to our Daniel over there, but the Indians can do bureaucracy better than anybody. And they will not let you touch a thing. It's like, we're in charge and you better just wait. So it was, guess what was in my bag this time? In the same bag as it was coming, it was a little pair of scissors, which you're allowed because the, the tips are this big, tiny, tiny. And they actually fold in half, so they become a circle. 
So you couldn't hurt anybody with them because you'd first of all have to straighten them up and it's so stiff that it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Comes scissors. What? I've brought them all the way from England. And suddenly takes them off me, puts them in the bin. Ugh! I've had them for about 20 years. And they're now in a bin on Delhi Airport. Isn't that just shocking? Hope you're getting the message. If we want to live the way of law, you will always, whatever day it is, there will be something. Anyway, enough said. Um, so I believe that we've been called to, to spread a more beautiful gospel, and that's exactly what's been happening. We've had a great time. The one thing I would love all you guys to experience is when this guy, the button gets pressed and you switch him on and he starts at 9.30 and 4.30 comes and he's just finishing and you hear, now some of you, you would be thinking, oh, that'd be terrible to listen to somebody talk for all that time. But when you get a panorama of a story that starts here and you keep getting the little bits put in, Oh, it's absolutely amazing. See, you guys get an hour every now and again, and it's something lovely. But to get the whole thing, and then, of course, you come back the following day, and you get another day full, and you just pick up where you left. And by the time you've done, you stand back, and you see the story unfold through Scripture, things being made uh, the light dawning on it, and it's just absolutely awesome. And I would, I would love for you all to experience that. Now, I don't know whether you ever will, but I encourage you to come on a Wednesday night sometime because that's where this story is unfolding, and it's pretty, pretty awesome. But anyway, so um, the conference was amazing, um, and there was a lot of people really uh, challenged in their faith because there, there are a lot of people who are very stuck in a very rigid, law-dominated system. And, you know, like I say, it's our job to try and help them understand a more beautiful gospel. Now, that can be actually quite difficult because I don't know whether uh, you understand this, but things that we have been reared with, things that we've been brought up with, they don't just uh, collapse very easily when you say the opposite or something different. You know, it's like you'd think everybody would be saying, that's awesome, that's brilliant, I love it. But no, you see, it's like, well, this is not what I've been taught. And give, me, give me chapter and verse, prove to me this, that and the other. And, you know, it can be quite difficult, especially if people feel they're in some way that you're taking away something which is incredibly, you know, solid in, in, in their lives, things that they've always lived by. And it can be really quite difficult. And in fact, there was... Um, there was a guy, and we have a picture, and what we'll do in a minute, I'll just put a load of pictures on and we'll have a look. But there was a guy, and uh, he was actually from Kenya, a lovely fella, and as we're speaking, he's lapping it up and he's really understanding it. But of course, the moment that you question the, the issue of hell, for instance, and start to uh, uh, open up the scriptures to say, actually, what we have made of hell isn't what actually the Bible says, uh, you, you know, you then start touching on very sensitive ground and especially in situations where people have come from countries where the the evil that goes on in those countries is so bad that of course they they hang on to there being a justice even if not in this life 
in the life after because it's like, well, at least if we don't get justice here, we'll get justice there. And when you then say, but actually that's not what we believe God is like, it's like, well, then what's the point of anything? And, it, you know, and this one guy, it was wonderful to speak to him because he actually challenged me and we had to, to really go um, almost back to the drawing board. Well, no, because that sounds as though we're changing our minds. But you, you, have to re, you, you, you have to stop and think, how do we speak to this person and work it for him so that it isn't actually doing a disservice? Because you see, this guy, he says, but what about when in my country, he says that the, the, the uh, military there and the religious uh, groups uh, will pull over a bus filled with just regular people of... Um, uh, children and just, you know, your, your local people. And they will say to them, they'll get them out and, 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 and uh, line them up, uh, all with, with guns and, and very, very hostile. And they'll say, recite some of the Quran. And if they don't, they shoot them in the head. He says, how do we answer that sort of evil? And of course, when, you, when you, you, you're faced with that, I mean, I would hate to be living in that situation. Because, you see, he feels that what he has to do is basically, unless we can convert these people, they won't stop doing that. And therefore, we have to preach that they'll go to hell if they don't stop doing that in order to make them stop. Do, do, do you get it? And, of course, he, this, this guy's listening. And he's, and, um, but then, of course, you, you get a revelation and you say, okay, then. So if these people who are doing that then just say the sinner's prayer... You're saying then that everything that they've ever done that was terrible is actually wiped away and they're going to be in heaven just by saying the sinner's prayer. That's made everything all right. And of course, they look at you and it's like, well, yes. So one sentence prayer negates everything of any evil because they just said those words. But another person who maybe never has done anything like that at all, who has never said those words, are still going to the same hell that the person who has viciously murdered people would be going to if they hadn't have said the words. Now, I hope I've said that clearly enough. Doesn't that show you how ridiculous we can all be? And that's why I say we have to get our heads around this more beautiful gospel which which actually if we get down to it and I, and I thought I heard something that Barbara had said which was really wonderful that actually the truth is what is going to be burnt away if anything is going to be the evil within people but the person is precious and will always be precious now that's what we believe and that's what we teach in this house because as I say it's a more beautiful gospel well I was um really challenged uh, last Sunday morning. I woke up and I just felt, I've got to talk about the emperor's new clothes. It was really weird. You know, you wake up, we sort of, oh, the emperor's new clothes. And what I really felt that what God had just put in my heart was, yeah, what really has become of this awesome gospel is basically that the king is stark naked and it's not, the message is not living up to the glorious robe that it should be, but instead we're looking at a stark naked, probably dumpy, ugly, fat little man. I don't know. He might have been a very nice, tall, skinny man. I don't know. But what I'm meaning is just 
flesh, right? That's what the Christian message has become. And nobody dares say a word because it's like, oh, I don't say anything. Because if I say something, remember what the story was. It was, it was only the people who were of great intelligence who could see the, the, uh, the clothes. And all, all the king's uh, uh, emissaries and, and uh, what do you call them, helpers, thought there's something wrong here. But if we say that we see no clothes, it means that we are stupid. So everybody stays quiet until a little child shouts, the emperor's got no clothes on. That's why the Bible talks about little children being what the kingdom's about because they don't put up with the pretense. And I believe that the maturity that we've risen to is that of a child in this place because we're now willing to say, hang on a minute, the emperor's got no clothes. And we're going to say it and we're going to uh, find and dig and understand this more beautiful gospel. So I hope that that makes sense because uh, this is who we are, isn't it? This is who we are. Um, so what I'd like to um, do is just put up some pictures uh, and I'll talk. I don't know what order they're in and we'll just go quickly and then I'll give Anth uh, the floor. <laughs> Um, what have we got? All right, so this is the boys' home. Daniel, you'll, you'll feel a little bit at home for a minute. This is the, is this the small, this is small boys' home, isn't it, right? And um, this is where the Sunflower Project uh, is held once a month. And uh, the, the people who come travel from quite a far afield. They, they make them, uh, their way there and they have a meeting and uh, basically they get food, they get uh, medical treatment, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. Now this little girl here, 12 months ago, she was so ill. She really was, and I couldn't find the other picture, but she was laid across her mother's knee. She didn't even have the strength to lift up her head. But look at her now, she's really doing great, and um, it's wonderful to see what is going on. So quickly, let's just move, move on. Again, we've got uh, Muslims, we've got Hindus, there's Catholics, there's, um, uh, I would say, people of no faith or whatever. There's just right across the board a lot of different uh, faiths. And when I uh, uh, spoke this time, I said, in all the years that we have come, for 10 years, we have never tried to convert one of you. Never tried to convert anybody, and I still stand by that because what I believe is we can fight forever over who's the real God, who's this, who's that, who's the other, and we probably haven't got it all right, you know what I'm saying, so who knows? So I said to them, I said, all we want to do is love you and give of ourselves to you, and I mentioned about how you guys had um, pulled together uh, finances for the, the homes and also for, for them, we've done... Um, 10 microloans uh, for, the, for the ladies there. Do you want to move on? Now, this lady here was amazing because, um, oh, I love her dress, isn't it? Gorgeous colours. They're so brave as well in the colours that they wear, right bright. Mind you, they need to in the traffic there. The, you know, <laughs> don't, don't, don't wear anything that's dowdy because you'll just blend into the road and no doubt you'll be run over. So be bright. Yeah. Anyway, just a very quick story right at the end. Um, she, she got up and she wanted to tell her story. Now, it's wonderful 
because uh, the Indian people are incredibly detailed. So you don't just get a short story, you get a very long story. And uh, you even get the fact where the, she puts her hand to her ear with a phone and she's telling you what is being said on the phone. So, you know, but she's, it's so detailed, right down to everything. And she's talking about how she um, basically got infected with AIDS and just how, to cut a sort of very long story short, She'd made up her mind that um, she went to the, the shop and she got some poison because she was going to give it to all her children and her husband and her because they were all infected and there was no hope. So what was the point of living? So they'd got this poison to take and then the telephone rang and it was somebody from the Sunflower Project who actually said, oh, you know, we can help you. There, you know, there is hope. We can... We can uh, find ways of helping you. And this person who'd called her had said, well, look at me. You know, I, I've been infected probably for 15 years and I'm still here. And she told her about her story and how then, you know. So she then says, after she gets to the end of her story, and she obviously loves the sunflower and all that goes on there. And she says, so I, I now want to dance. And so she starts to dance. Well, I'm not kidding you. The dance is as long as the story. Because seriously, they just turn on the music and then the dance. And you think, well, is it over? And you want to clap. And then he goes, no, it's carrying on. And then you're ready to clap. No, it's carrying on. And it just keeps going on and on and on. And it's just, just wonderful. Now, the thing I just want to say here um, was when she'd sort of finished, they all said, of course, they all speak Hindi. Very, very few of them speak uh, much English but they were wanting me to dance. And I'm saying, oh, I don't dance. I said, you need to ask my kids. They'd just absolutely laugh at me if I do anything. Um, no, come on, you've got to dance, you've got to dance. So I just started doing my, you know, really, you know, very, very stupid, wiggly, all this, that, and the other. The thing is, they thought it was brilliant because, because everything that I was doing was very much their, you know, and I was just having a bit of fun. Well, in the end, I was with this other lady. She came out, and me and her were, you know. And uh, what is lovely, and, and I wish we could be more like this in Britain, they don't take themselves that seriously, and it's lovely. And instead of feeling you're going to be laughed at or ridiculed, they just, just have fun. And so, of course, I'm wiggling me bum and <laughs> they're absolutely screaming with laughter and Anth took a video, I don't know, you haven't put it up there, have you? No, thank you. And Anth took a video and in, in the end, and I, this is no word of a lie, they were loving it so much that they're actually on the floor giggling. They were really loving it. Now, okay, you might say, well, what, what good is that? I'll tell you, it's incredible. Because when we first went... The despair that seems to come on people who are given a death sentence is, is tangible. It really is, is there. And of course, you've got mothers who bring their children who are also infected. And you look at the little child and you think, heck, they're, they're right at the beginning of their life. And what, what have they got? What chance have they got? How, how awful. So it's despair upon despair upon despair upon despair. And then, of course, they can't get jobs. And then the... the, the uh, rejected by their families, etc., etc. So the, the whole thing is terrible. And when we used to go and speak to them, we didn't ask for this, but it's what they wanted. And, and, and 
it tends to be quite a religious thing, this, uh, that people tend to think when it's a, like a Christian service, we'll go and be prayed for because you think it's a, an obvious thing to do. And so they would all line up. It wasn't two or three. It would be everyone would line up. And when they came to, for their turn, they would point to the part of their body that was hurting and how difficult it was. And, and, and it was really very, 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 not trying to be dis disrespectful, but it was pitiful in the sense of the desperation that they were showing. But you see, over the last couple of years, that stopped. <laughs> and you think, ooh, what's going on here? And it's because something has happened in their spirits. They know that they don't need to come and sort of beg God for something because we've encouraged them that he's there all the time. It's not you come and be prayed for, but actually God is within them. He's going every step of the journey with them. And when they are feeling the pain, he's feeling the pain with them and he's there to, to help and to heal and to, to soothe. And, and they've got it. They've absolutely got it. So at the end, instead of coming out for prayer, they start to dance. Isn't that lovely? I wish we'd maybe get a, a dose of that. Do you want to go on to the next picture? Oh, these are just gorgeous. These uh, two Muslim ladies that just absolutely shine and it's absolutely beautiful. Just keep going. Oh, this is, this is Felix. This is the guy from Kenya I was talking about. And uh, just keep him in, in your heart because if he goes back to Kenya, what he has to face is just horrendous. And, we, you know, when I said at the beginning, we think we've got it tough. This guy, you know, he's, he's basically could face death any moment. So move on. Oh, this is, these two gorgeous kids. We, um, no, no, sorry. Right. Yeah, these two gorgeous kids. Sorry. It was, it was the story in the mind, in the brain. This little boy, this lovely boy, he's called Joel, which is lovely. And his sister's called Sarah. Sorry. <laughs> Stupid. Um, they'd come to the conference with their parents and they sat through three days of back-to-back -back preaching in English, which they weren't very good at English. So imagine sat all that time. Probably he's, he'll be about 12 and his sister's probably about 15. And they sat through it all and so incredibly uh, polite and wonderful. The thing was, though, uh, their parents were very concerned when came to talk to me about their future because you see their their upbringing has been so strict and of course it's been passed on to them that their parents really fear whether their kids will actually stay the course because the restrictions are so great and you see when we started to minister and talk to them the mother's face started to shine because she's realizing actually some of the restrictions that they've put on their children don't have to be and uh, it was just lovely to start to see the lift in that that heaviness there it was amazing um so moving on oh this is just the the uh the girls home uh, they're absolutely beautiful um uma up there uh pray for that that lady there because they, they suffer such issues because uh, if they're not married by a certain age, it's a bit of a, a, a dishonour uh, to the family. And so when you get to about 18, it's sort of, you should be looking for a, 
a guy or the, the family will be looking for a, a, a guy to marry you off. And if there isn't one, um, it becomes a dishonor, dishonoring thing. So what had happened that uh, that young lady, her father had sort of coaxed her down to see him on sort of false pretense, under false pretenses. She works actually at the, uh, the home. And then he'd locked her in a room and wasn't gonna let her go because he'd found somebody for her to marry. She'd never met this guy and she didn't want to marry him, but that's what had been planned for her. And so of course she was just uh, desperate. And we started to have to try and figure what we're gonna do because you see, if you call the police over a thing like that, if those police are Hindu, they're basically gonna side with the father because the father has rights over his daughter. And so it becomes really, really difficult. And now I'm with Bina and we're praying about it. I says, we need a miracle. We just need a miracle. And what was amazing, you know, to cut a long story short, she manages to get out of the house and get on a bus. She had no money, but she got on a bus and she kept saying, what if the, the man asks me for the ticket? I don't have a ticket. But somehow it was as though his eyes were blinded to it. He didn't ask her and she managed to get uh, away and then she got on a flight which Bina sorted out and paid for and she got back to the home but that's the sort of things that's going on sorry I'm taking too long aren't I so sorry go keep moving um oh there you go that's me with me ladies so they're just absolutely delicious they're really lovely people uh oh, see little little children as well that are infected and it's uh aren't they gorgeous and they're precious just move on. Oh, I had to show you this. Um, we, we try and do the best we can with finances over there, but this is the kitchen in the, in the boys' home. And uh, you can see it's very, can I say primitive? Is that the right word? I don't know. You know, the, it's not all mod cons. And uh, in fact, they really could do with a, a, a new kitchen over there and we'll, we'll have to do our best to see what we can do. Uh, move on. Oh, that's just a jackfruit. I didn't know I'd sent you that. Bina's favourite fruit, actually. Bina's favourite. Oh, this is Tavisum. Hey, move on. This is Tavisum and Jothi. Uh, Jothi's now, I think she's 18, and uh, Tavisum's coming up 20. They're some of the uh, earliest children in the home, aren't they? Um, which is awesome, because these are now... Uh, Jothi's leading worship in the church, which is gorgeous, and, and Tavisum. Uh, let's just say she's been rescued of a most horrendous life had she not uh, been with Bina, because at one point they came, the family came to, when she was 13 to take her back home to go into the business, so to speak, um, which is just horrendous when you think about it. We, we just, we, we, you just can't comprehend it, can you? but that's how they survive over there. Any more? Let's move on. Oh, and the, and the stories we could tell you, Raj, Rajput, Rajput and Vernon, uh, but the guy in the yellow shirt, his testimony is just incredible. And I just want to say that if it wasn't for the, the more beautiful gospel coming to his ears, I don't really know where that family would have been. That's right, Daniel, isn't it? Absolutely miraculous. And uh, he's, he's a policeman. 
And uh, because he's a policeman, you can understand that he was not only very law-driven in his Christian beliefs, but he was also very law-driven as an upholder of the law in India. And so those two things coming together didn't really help in how he uh, dealt with his family. But now we've got an incredibly healed family. It is. It's just wonderful. Uh, any more? Because I'm going to let Anth on. Oh, that's it. That's it. Okay. Um, just finishing then. Thank you. It's been a privilege to go. Uh, it's not easy. I was saying to Jenny, I get cabin fever after a while because hotel rooms just do my head in. Uh, you know, you feel really <laughs> claustrophobic and whatnot. And then we weren't very well. I don't know. I, I can't seem to go to India without the bug getting me, um, which is sad because I got on the plane thinking, oh, I hope I can avoid it, which is not very nice. But it's still a privilege to go on your behalf and, uh, you know, be an extension of this ice-breaking house. And uh, I'll let Anth come and, and carry on now. Okay. So. Okay. Well, I won't take too much time just, uh, just to kind of wrap things up. Um, first of all, thank you very much from the bottom of our hearts as well as from the people we've been minister for, for 10 years of investment into Goa. It is so, so much appreciated and um, uh, it, it's, the, it's the commitment to the long haul that, that produces the greatest, the greatest results. You know, sometimes you can kind of give a wink and a nod to people, you know, you exist, thank you. But what you've really done from a long distance, and we try to be that, is you've put your arms around these people and said, we're not going anywhere. We are committed to you. We will walk the journey with you. And uh, the, greatest, the greatest thing to me is to watch how that long-term investment has produced such a harvest in revolutionized lives. And I, I'm not using that as an evangelistic term. I'm using that as a real-life term. Um, some of those kids that you see on the picture would now be child prostitutes if it weren't for people like you. I kid you not. And I mean, the thought of it just makes me want to throw up. But seriously, that would, that would be the situation. A lot of those HIV sufferers would be dead. Not just on an issue of a lack of medical care, but from despair. But what has happened is we've turned their mourning into dancing. We've turned their despair into light. And now they are people who, yes, they still struggle. They're in an environment where they are disenfranchised. Um, but they have a joy of life. They have a reason to live. And you have been part of their arms that have gone around them and said, you can live and not die and be blessed. And we've seen so many miracles in, in their lives that have been incredible. To watch those kids as well. Um, just getting more healthy rather than more sick. And what fascinated me this time, we've lost people over the years. You know, our, our picture over here with the hands, our hands from the Sunflower Project, and some of those are no longer with us. But I've never seen them looking more healthy, more happy, more joyful. And it's like, um, you know, uh, joy is a medicine to the spirit. Joy is a medicine to the soul. 
And so it has really impressed me this, this time of how when you bring joy and you bring release from condemnation, how that is a medicine to the soul and it's a healing. And, uh, and so that's been wonderful. So thank you for the, for the long-term um, commitment. Um, I also wanted to add to what Chris said that the greater impact is often within the stories that we can't tell you rather than the ones that we can and it irritates me because I want to be able to say, this person, la, 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 and I can't. I can't because it would be unfair on them for you to know their real story and who's what and where they've come from and how that worked. Um, and that frustrates me because if you knew, if you only knew how desperate, how bad some of those situations were, those stories are better than the ones that, that we can tell. But just bringing that down to home as well, it's just like the greater need is often in the stories that we can't see, not the ones that we can. And I appreciate that with you and with the people that we meet. The greater need's usually in the story you can't see. It's in what goes on behind closed doors, in darkness, in bedrooms, in boardrooms, that people are struggling with that you will never see, that come in with a smile on their face week on week and look you in the eye and shake your hand when actually behind the scenes there is a story of need. One of the things we've tried to do in this house, and it's one of the things we encourage those people there, is we want you to feel that this is a safe place where the hidden things, the things that are breaking you and breaking your heart, can be dealt with without condemnation or rejection one of the things I said to the pastors, because of course we have these two things going on. I'm, I'm a teacher, I like to teach people, so the conferences suit me down to the ground. But one of the things that you find with the pastors there is, is they can't tell anybody their struggles. Because to tell your struggles is to reveal your weakness. And to reveal your weakness shows your unworthiness. And if you show your unworthiness, you shouldn't be a pastor when that's going on. How awful. So these guys are carrying around burdens. They desperately need to tell somebody their frustrations, but there's nowhere safe to do it. We, on your behalf, create the safe environment for three days where some of those people can get honest about their frustrations, their heartache, and know that free from condemnation and rejection, they can get some healing and some hope and a lift in their spirit. So uh, we want to keep doing it. Um, also, you know, the, it's expensive doing this stuff, it really is. Um, but you can feed people from a distance, you know, that, that is true. We can send money and feed people. But, but it's much harder to change people's minds from a distance. Um, you can't hug people from here. Send them a food parcel, yeah, but you can't hug them and talk to them and give them space and give them help and give them hope. So I hope you appreciate that the expense that is incurred, because we could say, well, let's not bother sending anybody, let's just send some money. But that money is not hands and it's not feet and it's not words and it's not help. So, so I also wanted to say a big thank you for, um, for letting us go to change people's minds uh, close up and to show them some, some compassion. So just a couple of things that, that I wanted to say just... Um, um, just to finish, first of all, on a detail level, we put another 10 microloans um, into the Sunflower Project. So that's 10 people who will be starting a business sometime in the next 
few months. We're going to get a list of all the names and all the business so you can see that. You have no idea how impactful it is just giving microloans so these people's lives can be changed who've been disenfranchised because we give them little money to get started. And, uh, you know, they're queuing up for it to happen. They get so excited when we come with money to do that. So we've got another 10 of them that are getting equipped like that, which we appreciate very much. Also, the kids, it, it obviously is not cheap to, to feed children, educate children, clothe children. And we've got the, there's the big boys' home, the small boys' home, and the girls' home, well over 100 orphan kids who most of them will spend all their lives as orphans from, from being babies until they get to like Tabitham and Jothi, 18, 19, having to go into work, find husbands. Most of them will spend their whole life there. And uh, that, you know, food doesn't materialize out of thin air. Clothes don't just, you know, pop into being. So if you're not sponsoring any kids, I want to encourage you, you might want to do so. I, I would suggest 40 pounds a month um, for the project to sponsor a child in the orphanages to help meet the needs and the cost of all that and give life to one of those kids. If you want to do that, please see Amy or see us at Resources. We'll get you a form. You can fill it in. And uh, we look forward to doing that. Incidentally, some people sponsored kids and then they, for whatever reason, go somewhere else and uh, don't necessarily keep that up. But we've not dropped any sponsorships. So any that have been dropped, we, the church, have taken on because we, we don't want those kids to suffer, but we like some more, okay? So if you want to get in that... Also, for some of you, if you want to go and serve, um, you know, the, it, it's good. But if you do go, go to serve. They're not there to serve you. You don't go to find yourself, you know, which we've had some problems this time. Of, of somebody you recommended to go, spent all the time drunk, falling down the stairs. It's like, well, how did you finish up with that? Oh, well, this person recommended them. Well, did you do any checks? No. So that's not what it's for. And it's not for you to see if you can find yourself to know what your future is. It's to go and give yourself. But if some of you are interested, we can get you set up. You go. If you want to work with the kids, be with the kids. Spend your time there. Get stuck in. Get involved. Then we can hook you up on that. And um, I'm sure you can be a, a blessing to them if, if, if that's something that, that touches you. Now, so one other thing, because the time's gone. And uh, there's no preach. But, but next week, I'm going to talk to you about about bread that changes the world. So, so, you know, we'll talk about two loaves of bread. Never been a time that two loaves of bread are more important than what I'm going to tell you next week. But here's the other fascinating thing. Um, a guy called David who, who was, for those who are not familiar with Bible, was was the second king that Israel had after Saul, who was the people's choice. David was God's choice. Fascinating character. You, you'll know who he is um, if I tell you what he wrote. I'm of you familiar with the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Makes me to lie down green pastures. This guy David wrote that fascinating character. You should go read his story in the Bible because it's absolutely amazing. And... Um, um, this guy, this guy David, he, um, I forgot what I was going to say, but what was I going to say about David? I got onto that. Shows you how tired I am from the... What? Oh, no, he wasn't the bread. Right. The bread's for somebody else. It's not for David. 
Fascinating story. Oh, yes, thank you. In that same psalm, uh, David wrote something which has always fascinated me. He said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And um, the truth is, when you get on the track of seeking for your life to be lived in honor of the Abba of Jesus, the Father of Jesus, the God of Jesus, then David says, goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. Now, what I love about that is, if goodness and mercy are following you and you fall... What do you get run over by? It's not condemnation, it's not accusation, it's not guilt. You get run over by goodness and mercy. I have spent my life falling, not all the time, but sometimes, too often. But what has happened every time is that goodness and mercy that was following me have run right over me. I've been crushed by the goodness of God and by, by the mercy of God. That's what's supposed to happen in the weakness of our life. So think what happens when there's some victory in the weakness of our life. If goodness and mercy run over us in our worst time, what do we see sometimes in our best time when we just find that place of favor? And so I find, you know... Um, a guy called Jonathan Edwards, who's not the long jumper, um, is another Jonathan Edwards, who was, he was alive um, in the 18th century, 1700s, and he lived in America, and he was what's called a revivalist. Now, I, I personally have a great distaste for that word. Um, you know, churches talk about revival. It's an invented word. It's not in, not in the. It's not a Bible word about. Because the suggestion is in revival is that God doesn't want to help anybody or really turn up, but He might just if you pray enough, if you do enough, if you're good enough. I, I just don't buy that. I'm sorry. It just it just doesn't fit for me the the Abba of Jesus. But Jonathan Edwards, bless his heart, his most famous sermon that he ever preached. Get this, this is the title, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Um, I mean, you can terrorize people into some kind of response if you get that message through. Now, there are all kinds of stories, and I, I, you never ceases to amaze me how people's lives get touched, but I have some questions over the principle of sinners in the hands of a Angry God, what about if actually we're saints in the hands of a happy God? And so here's one of the things that Jonathan Edwards says, and I have a reason, I have a reason for saying this. He says, the smallest sin is an act of cosmic treason against a holy God. How's that make you feel? <laughs> The smallest sin is an act of cosmic treason against a holy God. The problem for me is not what that says about the weakness of humanity. It is what that says about the cruelty of this kind of God who would see the smallest infraction as a cosmic treason. I wouldn't do that to my kids. 
So the reason I'm saying this is that's not the God that I know. I know a God of kindness who, the reason I mentioned Edwards as well, because he, he was the one who first talked about what he called the hounds of hell. Right? The hounds of hell are pursuing you. Basically to grab you, rip you to shreds and drag you into the pit. The hounds of hell. Well, well, I don't know what's following me, but it's not that. I think it's the goodness and mercy. Because what I've found in my life with all my failings, my weaknesses, my insecurities, my, my personality, is that I've been pursued by God. You know, we talk about people you know, pursuing God. God's pursued me all my life and he's pursuing you. That's why the Bible says he loves you with an everlasting love. It means he's the one doing the chasing. He's the one who's besotted chasing you, looking for a response. All the effort comes on his part. Therefore, just all the response comes on our part to say, okay, I give in. And the reason I mention that is we are, I told you the week before we left, I talked to you, uh, about about dreams, if you remember, the dreams that we have, and they talk to you about how in dreams that reality gets bent to fit the story. You finish up in weirddom, where stuff is happening that's just that was pretty weird. Well, I just want to encourage you to open your heart, your ears, your eyes to understand that this, this Abba of Jesus, this Father of Jesus is pursuing you for the best. He's following you with goodness and mercy. And so I talked to you in that dream about how Chris and I really felt for all these years, for, for over four years, that, that we are from this house to meet some need in Salt Lake City, reach to some people, some community, some group. We have to do it. It hasn't left us alone. It's not the hounds of hell chasing us. It's the hounds of love chasing us, saying, come on, you know, there's something that's got to be done. So I told you how we'd had these ridiculous uh, things, even, the, do you remember I showed you the thing that I put an address into the sat-nav, uh, 4200 Main Street, Murray, which is, which is a place we felt in our heart, pulled up outside, and I showed you the picture that it says on the apartments there, live here, right? Remember I showed you that three weeks ago, well, so... To show you how it gets weird, so we, we're there for India, but it's all a bigger story. It's all a bigger picture. And your life's a bigger picture. You might think it's a load of disjointed little things that are going on that are frustrating the heck out of you, but it's a bigger picture. And uh, if you'll just step back a little bit, and first of all, say, God, I know you're in this. Please help me to see what it is that you're doing. It's amazing how you start to see the colors on the picture and think, huh, fascinating, wow, never saw that. Take a step back from your own living at your life like this. Oh, my life, all the stuff, oh, you know, whinging and moaning. And Take a step back, take a step back and a deep breath. Say, God, help me to see what it is. Because there's not a single one of you in here tonight that lacks the big picture that God is involved in and wants to show you what it is that he is painting that is your life. And so having said all that, we, you know, all these things are interlinked and I, I, told, you, I, I told you that to, to say this. So, so we fly into Mumbai and uh, 
we're, we're in the line for the e-visas. Now again, in India it's wonderful because the e-visa, the electronic visa, is supposed to make everything quicker. But this is India, okay, so it does the opposite, okay? It does exactly the opposite. Because um, the time is never the time in India, is it, Daniel? The time is never the time, right? So we're going to start prompt at half past nine. Is like that's a mild idea approximated from somewhere that's got nothing actually to do with the time that you're going to start. Okay, so when you turn up, it's like it was obviously just a mild suggestion. You know, it might not even be the same day. So we're in the line then, of course, you know, it, it, the queues are getting bigger and bigger. So, so the non-electronic visas on the other side are going like crazy. That's supposed to be the slow one. And then, of course, there's all the confusion because that finger doesn't work, okay? After five surgeries on that finger, um, it's, it, it's, 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 an, it's that much shorter than my other one. It's, it's an inch shorter, it has no fingerprint, and it doesn't bend. Well, you have to do a scanner thing, okay? So you have the little scanner, okay? So please put hand on. So you do that to do your fingerprints. Well, of course, left hand, please, left hand. Then he looks at me, lift up, press. I am pressing. <laughs> says, gets his little cloth out, wipes the thing, now press. So I'm like, it doesn't work because that, I've got a dicky finger there. Well, it was like, okay, then just go. It's like, couldn't, there was no cognitive ability to figure out, well, I can at least get three and a thumb. It's like, no, this is not what I was told. So anyway, we're in the line, and of course, there's a lot of people, cause every, and all you hear is this, you know, it's like in those where there's cues in the, Big place, and blah, 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 blah. so you, you, there's noise, but you can't actually hear anything in the noise. So you've no idea what's going on in the noise. So we arrived. You know, goodness and mercy, his followers. We're part of a bigger picture. India's just one of the little steps in that. But our life is an unfolding mystery that God is doing. So in the middle of all that, we're there and it's all. Then all of a sudden, loud above everything, Salt Lake City. I kid you, exactly like that. Just above it all, one thing shouted out, didn't know who said it, just those three words, Salt Lake City. Now we're going into India, we just looked at each other, just with a great sense of, do you know what, in all of this and waiting at visa lines and getting stuck at security and all that kind of stuff that goes on, God is with us. And in the detail that we so often get stuck in is an unfolding story that's bigger than the detail. Whatever the detail is that you're stuck in right now, there is an unfolding story that's bigger. Step back, have a look, and ask God, show me what this big picture is so that I can understand how to work with it, to work in it, and see the beautiful colors that you're painting in this that is the outworked will of God for your life where goodness and mercy are following you. And David says, not just today, but all the days of my life because I actually dwell where heaven and earth meet. 
It's called the house of the Lord, and that's where I want you to be. So even weird stuff happens in customs halls because there's a bigger picture and God is speaking in your life. So let it touch you. Be part of it. Understand that there is a plan unfolding in you, and if you will live in it, goodness and mercy you will find follows you all the days of your life. Can I give you one just last little story seeing Dave here, because Jamie's having a real good sleep on, with his head on Dave's shoulder, right? Which is real sweet. Not so sweet for Dave maybe, but it's, <laughs> it's real sweet. And tell you why I want to tell you this, because one of the guys at the conference, Binu, who's part of uh, Martin's wife's family, who have been the lead family, in New India Church of God, was telling us how his life was touched and what he thinks and sees and expects is changing. And he was preaching in one of the churches in the south and uh, um, a drunk guy came in. And he came in at the back and he heard all this commotion and it's because people were all focused on, heck, a drunk guy's come in, this is not acceptable, this is a church. Doesn't he know this is a church? What's he trying to do coming into our church when he's had too much to drink? And he was a little noisy as can be. And so Binu keeps, he keeps preaching. And then, and then some people went over and, and, and sat by him and said, you've got to leave, you've got to leave. Trying. So I just want to hear what this guy's saying. Top of his voice and in a whisper, drunken whisper. I just want to hear what this guy's saying. And... Uh, and then the next thing he knew, the, all the big guys, the biggest guys, wandered up, picked the guy physically up, took him out and threw him in the street. Allah touched Bino and it touched me because he realized that is not the more beautiful gospel. It isn't. As I was watching our Jamie here laid on Dave, I thought this is the more beautiful gospel. That we, we can bless and help people who whose story is such that it puts them in a position that if we had the same story, we might be in the same place. But for Jamie, goodness and mercy follows him. We believe him for a real touch and a real help, a real blessing, because we love him. And I'm sad that he lost his sister. So we're just going to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, for Jamie, our Jamie. Lord, we just bless him tonight. He's our friend and we love him. We know that you, the Abba, the Father of Jesus, is the Abba, the Father of Jamie, just the same. And so we bless him. And for all the struggles that's going on, all the little issues we get tied up with, to know that bigger story is there, your goodness and mercy is here, to run over us in our fallen state so that we can stand up transformed, refreshed, helped, and blessed because you're with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for being here. We love you. And uh, we'll see you, some of you on Wednesday, and we'll see you to talk about these loaves of bread next week. All right. Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again.